0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm Perinatal Psychologist and host Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all, from personal stories and lived experience, to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to Mom & Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, I'm talking with Adam Angel. Adam Angel who is going to talk to us about Father's Mental Health. And that is a really important conversation always and during June as we're celebrating Father's Day. And very specifically, June 19th this year is International Father's Mental Health Day. Postpartum Support International will be sharing some conversations about International Fathers Mental Health Day on their Facebook and Instagram pages on Monday, June 19th, including important conversations about Black fathers' mental health. Today with Adam, we are talking about the challenges of paternal mental health and what that looks like for fathers in general, and what are some of the origins of paternal mental health challenges. I'm also really excited about this conversation because Adam is going to share with us a little bit more about his work Using the neuroaffective relational model. And some of what that is is doing work on the inner child, which we don't often hear about in conversation when we're talking about fathers. There are some really specific ways that, you know, fathers and men in general have been conditioned to look past their feelings and sort of pretend that everything's okay or keep a stiff upper lip or whatever it is in you know, Western culture, but a lot of cultures about men and fathers needing to be and behave a certain way. It's not as often that we take a softer look at why fathers might feel the need to have that stiff upper lip type of emotional response. Adam also talks about supporting the father in the co-parenting relationship. And there are so many gems in our discussion today. Adam is a licensed clinical social worker with 15 years of experience working with youth, adults, and families. His specializations include paternal mental health and developmental trauma. He currently facilitates both peer support and depth-oriented therapy groups for fathers at various stages. He specializes in supporting fathers that have suffered perinatal loss of stillbirth and in early infancy. Adam's specialization in developmental trauma is supported by his master's level training in the neuroaffective relational model, also known as NARM. Really excited for you guys to learn more about this model of therapy and really for us to be having more conversations about the emotional complexity of the men and fathers in our lives, as opposed to just assuming that they're not having an experience related to parenting, to fatherhood, and to being men in a society that tell them that they're not supposed to be emotional. This is a very necessary conversation. And I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Adam. Welcome, Adam. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me here today.
0: I'm really glad to hear from you and for you to be sharing with the folks who are listening about paternal mental health and some of the things that you know, frankly, that I think a lot of people don't know about, or maybe even make assumptions about how dads and fathers and the paternal mental health journey, what it's like. So yeah, if you can start with some kind of basics, fundamentals of what paternal mental health is and how you support new dads.
1: Sure. So paternal mental health is a large view of the bird's eye view of all challenges related to mental health for for fathers. And a lot of the focus in the literature has been around perinatal work, so in the first year. And then there's even prenatal work, too, and that's also big. And a lot of the biggest work has been done in the UK and Australia, but it's getting bigger and bigger in the US. Yeah. My own work through supporting fathers right before their the birth of their child, as well as the first year doing support groups for men in like a 10-week style group. And then that kind of led into group therapy work, too. With men, with children of all ages. And so those are the, the main areas.
0: Oh, that's awesome. You know, unfortunately, as you know very well, societally, dads and fathers have it's like they're viewed as kind of this other part of a baby coming. And I know that you and other people who are doing your work and us in perinatal mental health are trying to change that. I think, like, wh- how, what kind of challenge does that bring to the fathers that you meet with? just in general, but also even finding you, finding the support that you get,
1: give. Yes, this is a big part of it. I mean, I think what the experience of many men is that they're sort of not really a part of the doctor's appointments. And this isn't because they're not showing up. It's because it's not being addressed or people are not being addressed by their healthcare providers as a duo, as a, you know, if that's the case for them. And I think there's a way that The literature that's there for them, for parents, the uh, opportunities and resources, they're not uh, geared towards anyone besides the mother. And I think that's really key Mm -hmm. and feeling welcomed into that. And so prenatal, antenatal classes is a big part of it. And having someone, especially someone who has had a similar experience, being able to facilitate that is really important for feeling welcome and and being there. There's more to say about that. course.
0: Yeah, for sure. Right. This is, we're skimming the surface in a way because there's so much to know and to understand. And, you know, to your point, like the father's experience is also emotionally complex. It's not just the birthing person. So yeah, it's um, interesting. I think how, well, I'm interested, I should say, in just even how people come to find you. And find specific support. Did people uh, tell you about how they find you?
1: Yeah. And I have like a little funny story. So when I was starting this, and so just as the pandemic had started, I had my second uh, about a week after we all went home. Uh, it was pretty crazy. So that was partly why, what pushed me to do this work. And yeah, once I went, I left my job and started private practice. Uh, I put out a lot of things for fathers. And I think I got like a thousand responses from moms been from practitioners, but none, not many from men. Um, and so I really had to revamp some of my language, but then I, I put also made some partnerships with a local organization, which is, uh, the breastfeeding center of greater Washington. so just a place where so many, many classes then for moms, and they'd been looking for something for fathers, but hadn't yet put something together. And so when I reached out to them, that was a big help. And then of course, Instagram was helpful. And then and eventually, because I'm a therapist, a therapist, of, you know, so sort of i been doing presentations, et cetera. And so dad's here about me this way. But I think to your point, I, if I'm being honest, even though I have a number of groups and people think that's a lot, I, I'm, it's a drop in the bucket for what I could be doing or what we could be doing right. as a community and with other male practitioners, et cetera, because there's such a need. Yeah. Uh, the reality is that, you know, one of the ways to do it is, again, through primary care. Positions or hospitals, and so I'm working on it. But
0: right, yeah, progress, yeah, for sure. Or what are you seeing, anyways? And what are people telling you about the the kind of how or why they might be having mental health challenges during this perinatal period?
1: The how and why that is basically the uh, men are coming. Well, when they come to support groups, they may not say that. I want to offer that they're coming, saying that they want to have. Some men will say that they want education, some specific resources, but many are saying, I just want a group that feels like where I can actually talk to it, uh, other men and talk to their experience. And I, one of the men described this as you know, having a place to dump out rather than dump in because he felt like every time he was talking about it with his partner, there was just more friction because like, I wasn't welcome to share um, experiences. So the why is... I think really complex here is that there's the reality that we all know that, you know, the framework has already been laid by with so many great folks that have done this work with women, which is obviously the stress of the moment. This is the, one of the biggest life changes in our experience as people. Right. And you have that, you're holding that. And then you have, of course, this lack of sleep, you have the impact on your partner, which we all know, I think many people know, is impact on your partner and then that impacts your relationship and then the men and the partner will get impact that way because the relationship with the partner has deteriorated. they may feel they're being neglected. they may feel that uh, the partner has changed, their life has changed in terms probably the biggest thing is loss of uh, their current life and what they knew, what their expectation versus reality has now shown them and I don't mean, know, I'm leaving off many. But I think there's a lot of also this pressure on ourselves, which we'll get into, that we all put on ourselves that may not match really what's needed. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we have all these things that we put on ourselves and how we relate to ourselves. And so, one of the things that we talk about most is, you know, sort of the underlying piece of this is that, you know, am I a good father? There's mm-hmm. the question that a lot of men mental- they're like, and usually what they're doing is they're shaming themselves. Yeah. So I'm, gonna, I'm actually not a good father if you get to the source of it. But, it, you know, a lot of what we're doing here is one, obviously normalizing that in the group. And then if we do deeper work in like a therapy, and again, there's other ways to to be with that.
0: Um, do you find that, I guess just as in any group or in therapy environment, people get more comfortable as time goes on talking about kind of, you know, what's like really, really going on, how they're being impacted by this journey. What are the things that are, you know, in the groups that fathers are sharing with each other that maybe the average person wouldn't think that men would be sharing about?
1: Yeah, I'm going to put myself in the average person thing, too. <laughs> I'm telling myself that um, in the support groups, you know, and this is how I framed it earlier on, that this would be a, a bit lighter, that I, I made it very um, semi-structured. Uh, which some groups really, really take to and others are more interested in being open and processing. Yeah. And so I think a lot of factors, we have like eight to 10 guys, and sometimes there's some a little bit less and that kind of changes the dynamics. But what will, uh, and I got pushed to do this by one guy, and I appreciate that he did that. Um, is really processing, even from the very first session, what happened in, in the birth. For a lot of men, what shows up is PTSD from from being in that process with their partner. And that is probably the biggest shocker for anyone that doesn't know, hasn't had that experience. You didn't even do anything. But if we understand that seeing someone that you most love go through extreme pain, and then you hold also that many men will see themselves as being the person that's supposed to protect their partner. Um, So even a and many times this is the case, a quote unquote, not all challenging birth or, you know, sort of typical birth will bring about a really challenging experience for, for the partner. And, and so like a lot of fathers will come in and I mean, it's shocked me on day one with men that they don't know. I want to make sure that I, everyone knows that I'm doing these groups virtually. So some of them are, lo- most of them are local to the Washington DC area, but many are, some of them are also coming from outside the area. And they may even you know, start to cry in that little or share really deep and challenging feelings. And of course, the group is very supportive of them. And it's also true that men don't experience this and they have a, a great experience in those moments, but they're able to be together and share that. I think probably what's also one of the biggest things they share is like what I go through as one of the sessions topics is um, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. And we'll go through like what, your partner might be going through and then it goes into what you might be going through. Mm-hmm. And I try to start that there because if I do the other way around it, never gets right there. Right. So, <laughs> so what happens is, I don't know, a number of times men have been like, wait, but this is happening to me too. And I'm like, I know we're getting there. Just keep getting it. Minutes, we'll just get good. We'll yeah. So I think, you know, it's really a lot of sharing around that. And I think also what's been coming up and, and great to share and see that other men don't understand what other men are going through is like, you know, process of intrusive thoughts has been a big thing people need mm-hmm. recently with me in particular. And it's just like, you know, this is, and I had to, this is a beautiful conversation that I had just a couple of days ago where you had one of the folks in the group who felt really um, close to sort of how his uh, wife is feeling and her intrusive thoughts. And then hearing two other men have their own. And then seem like, like, how is it like, you know, he is having a challenging time experiencing it through his wife. And then these two men are having it themselves. And they were just almost sharing to this point of like understanding and compassion so for funny. everyone here. What I was describing as like, you know, this is an extreme moment of pressure on yourself. And yeah. we bring our old stuff, all of our own stuff, which we'll get into, into a conversation of, under a really stressful situation in a society that's not supportive of
0: sometimes like, why aren't we more supportive? Why aren't we more understanding and compassionate? And I mean, there are a lot of reasons, as you're saying, for this, but it, I don't know, being a, a, and maybe this is your experience too, being on sort of this side of hearing so many stories, it's just so frustrating and so angering that we can't support parents better as a society.
1: Yeah. And I've am i taken to, I'm not done with my thinking around this. I, I wish I was for this conversation with you. But, you know, just thinking about what is it, when I put it to the, to the group sometimes, like, what can you do that you wouldn't normally do communally for each other and for others in your, you know, locale that really, like, emphasizes community because it's not going to, it's not happening for us necessarily on a policy level. Right. I'm not saying that we shouldn't push, just that's, there's the end. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm in the process of thinking through that too with you.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, it's a huge, huge societal problem and it. it just has generational impacts. Using the neuroaffective relational model, can you tell people a little bit about what that is and then what that looks like in therapy sessions?
1: Yeah, so we call it for short NARM because, you know, it's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what it's getting at is basically a process for that's um, non-pathologizing, that's relational that, you know, in many ways could look like or similar to internal family systems. And that's more well known on the East Coast, But on the West Coast, especially in California. NARM is somewhat known and so, and it's in Europe and et cetera. So, what NARM is doing is really looking at you and really from a subjectivity lens. So, thinking about the person and the therapist as both having the subjective experience and really being with this person in a way that's extremely curious, very agency-oriented, and is looking at their experience as a whole person. And so when when someone comes in, the big question that we ask them is, you know, sort of what is it that's your deepest desire for yourself? So we're asked, of course, like, what is it? How do you wanna use your time? But then once we understand what they wanna talk about, what is it that you most want for yourself? And this is a big question that I think really pushed me to grow because what we're getting at is really this internal state or something similar that they're seeking in themselves. And it gets us away from, you know, so the behavioral models and it's more oriented towards how they're relating to themselves and how they would like to relate to themselves mm-hmm. and then what that might feel like. And I think it's definitely something that's been effective with this population. And a lot of times, what Survival strategies we've used from our childhood to get us to this place really are not helping us in the way that they're showing up. And so, what will happen is, you know, men might say, like, you know, they may be having a very acute issues, but what they really would like for themselves is to feel ultimately like a good father, feel some esteem about themselves, or have some calm when they're with their child. And, you know, so there's a couple of different examples of what they might want. And then we'll be with what might be getting in the way. Of that, and so as we're doing that, you know, this extreme level of agency and extreme level—extreme is not the right word—extreme level of compassion, holding both of those at the same time, because we recognize that ultimately, what a child has done, and this is the theoretical framework, is looking—they've looked at themselves as—I'm sorry—they when they start when they in their family of origin, they'll be in a situation where they're wanting their own autonomy, they want safety and security. But when that, what they want is coming at a cost because their parent is unable to give them that, their environment doesn't afford them, they adjust themselves. And so they say to themselves, you know what, I got to change myself because I can't challenge my family. That's too dangerous to challenge their family. I mean, I I know I could. (laughs) Sure. Most people can speak to that feeling of saying, okay, like, you know, this is maybe, this is going to get me yelled at or worse. And in my family, and uh, the worst thing for a child to feel is that they might be separated from their from their family of origin. So they adjust themselves, and when the number one way they seem to adjust themselves is to shame themselves. Uh-huh. So we notice this a lot in in how our dads uh-huh. will shame themselves, and what shows up instead might be efforting, like to be the best father, to be to do more, or it's to might be to disconnect, right, and separate themselves, and so on and so forth. So those are some examples of what we do. And so when dads do this in the group, for example, in the therapy groups, we'll discuss what's happening for them. And this experience is obviously going to be felt in multiple people in a group and really resonate with each other because they're going through many of the same things. Right. Obviously, how it shows up exactly is different. Mm
0: -hmm. So, I mean, this is so important. This is both healing things from our past, but also trying to To be the, you know, for in this case, like being the father that you want to be. And what you were saying before about how some things, you know, get in the way of that is, I think, really, really powerful. Speaking specifically to the shame, because, you know, shame just makes you feel like it's you. You're the problem. I'm the problem. It sits with me to overcome this thing that I have no idea why I feel the way I feel and then do better from something that I don't even know why it feels bad. It's really complex. So having guidance from, you know, therapists who's doing the work that you're doing is really powerful and really, really important because inherently in what you're doing is it's a non-shaming approach. It's like a, let's see why things are the way they are.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because um, one of the big ones that I'm sure you hear over and over is like the baby's crying and I got angry at the baby. Why did I get angry at the baby? Yeah, ask them to me. And even sometimes that isn't what happens sometimes it's like i'm angry at the baby like the acting out on so they either shaming in or the anger out but we're noticing that this is a really if we're looking at it from a compassionate standpoint we're looking at it from this person this uh, parrot is in a very vulnerable state in this moment mm-hmm. lack of sleep etc plus major life change and yes. for a lot of men in particular who have not gotten to the level of emotional development as some of their partners. This is really, they have all the loss that is like immediate, right? They've lost maybe their immediate relationships at this moment, what they normally do to support themselves, whether they're working out, et cetera, et cetera. But then and so you have that grief. But then there's the grief that's old that we're what we're and the emotions that come up from just being in a vulnerable emotional situation by being with this baby that needs from you. And maybe what is happening potentially here, is that what was not available to them in their own lives is being triggered here as they're with this child. And this is really a big part of why I think we have such extreme reactions to this moment. And I And I, you know, personally, something that I felt absolutely. Mm-hmm. I went through.
0: This is, you know, as you're talking through this, I primarily meet with perinatal women. And I hear from their perspective you know, what's happening with their partners, with their husbands. And this comes up quite a lot. The mom, let's say, who I'm meeting with is, sees her husband being angry. And then, you know, her husband doesn't know why he's angry, or he might be verbally kind of lashing out a bit at her. Sometimes the kids, I mean, I'm not hearing everything, every detail of everyone's experience, but the mom that i'm meeting with might so desperately want her partner her husband to get help too or she might not be able to see that he's suffering at all and just like why is he being such a jerk and it because of like what you're saying that because of it's so complex that how would the husband be able to explain to his wife why he feels the way he feels if it's never been modeled to him that even that it's okay to have feelings.
1: Yeah. I mean, what you're describing and i use the word that you just used is, is the role model gap, right? Mm-hmm. Which we haven't had this role model of a father who's been able to be with their emotions in this way. Yeah. It's much more challenging to do so for yourself. And it's really, even though we talk about it as just like in the family system, but it's larger than that, right? This is, my colleague says it really well, that there's you know, fatherhood groups are really masculinity groups. They're really, you know, this is really what we're talking about here is that men are impacted by the larger culture as well. And so, this is all a part of our developmental trauma. Because, you know, that, that's that was my experience. That's many men's experience. Even the men that have had that experience, you know, it's still, because I'm, I'm holding that I know some men that still go through this and actually putting pressure that may, quote unquote, look like, how women deal with it and again i'm purposely i'm quoting here uh-huh, yeah. but like in the reality is that we can't pigeonhole us I as mean, having one experience and a lot of the men that show up in therapy do have a different experience because they're the ones that show up to therapy right. right and so they're they may be efforting just as many women do and saying and sort of putting too much pressure and that's the swing that i know you've seen in this kind of parenting model that maybe goes too far or we're taking on full responsibility for everything mm-hmm. sort of like putting this much pressure on ourselves and this is just another form of developmental trauma here showing up and so we really balancing out both you know sort of it's not just two but the reality of like whatever it is that they experience and how they really would like to feel in that moment mm-hmm. instead because we really don't have to hold on to these things and we want to make it all- and allow it to be Whatever it is, and it's in again, in the context that you mentioned, this is a bigger problem than that, as I like to say, like we're not supposed to parent in twos. You know, that's just ridiculous. I mean, we're, we were never supposed to do that and we mm-hmm. have lost so much. Uh, one of my teachers, he talks about how one of the biggest challenges is the generational challenge, which is that all the wisdom of the generations that we came from has been disconnected and it's its own trauma. And that trauma is impacting us and shows up here. It shows up in even the parents that have been connected to us. Still, they didn't, they may not have had, we don't have a lineage that provides necessarily the same amount of support and practices that we really need in supporting a child, not just to hold them and help us get through those sleepless nights, but it's also like, what, you know, where is that wisdom? It's really challenging. We're recreating this. And it's all of that at once, you know, so.
0: Right. So in some sense, and again, being maybe overly general, but I'm thinking of the father kind of at the center of that example is that they're walking into this with blinders on. I mean, like worse, in some ways, maybe even emotionally, quote unquote, blind to for one, not potentially not even not being able to understand themselves emotionally, their partner emotionally. What's going on with their baby? That, you know, babies, for instance, babies just cry. It could very well be interpreted as all so many things. I mean, things that I hear from moms could be the same things that dads feel like, this baby doesn't like me. I can't wait till they're five and I can actually communicate with them. I hate this part. You know, there's so many iterations of this um, and how men could feel that we societally have to really hold that it's complex. It's not just
1: one thing. Absolutely. I mean, what you're describing basically is a subjectification of men and mm-hmm. fathers. And I think this has been the challenge is that, you know, essentially what men will do. And if I say that, that's an objectification of it. It's like, you know, each person is uniquely individual and it's extremely complex. And so is the experience of obviously the other partner. And of course, as you mentioned, the baby, and all of this is really this intersubjectivity of how do we see each other, all of us, in this human space and uh and then that's this whole space, which is very hard. And to do so in small dyads, it's really challenging, right? Because we know how it's already taxing.
0: Um, sure. Oh yeah, right, for sure. Right. And then COVID brought this whole other level of <laughs> mess, not mess, mess everything up.
2: Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks.
3: If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.
0: For them to, I guess, feel and understand their value in the relationship as well.
1: Let's hope it to reflect on. I think what I tend to, what tends to come up is that I'll share a little bit in the topics and like, for example, in the support groups and we'll, you know, discuss what might be going on uh, in terms of the relationship. And then what tends to come up that I think is helpful is we'll talk about the mental load that that women are many times carrying. And I'll ask, you know, so where you are, how you feeling about, you know, how much you're carrying And, and what ends up coming around is usually is around if the partner is breastfeeding is like how they may feel disconnected from this part of the support and thinking about like how do you support the partner whether that be in one of the dad's great uh, thought of always coming towards like sort of the second part of the breastfeeding and sitting with the partner and just connecting with the partner and thinking about how to be more in connection and being a part of that um, process. There's a lot of discussion around you know, having conversations about taking what what really makes sense for them so they can sleep, so that they can take turns in terms of feeding, so they can be part of process, but also holding, you know, so understanding how their partner may be operating from a different view with different impacts and different stressors and how that really might be playing out in their relationship. And so thinking about that, and so there's some that compassion for them. And then I share a little bit about Fair Play Life, which, you know, I'm very fond of and I've connected with folks there and talking about, you know, how do you really have these explicit conversations, regular conversations, um, you know, whether that be the weekly meetings or like, you know, setting up the cards to decide who's covering what and so on for But I think when we get into it a little deeper, you know, one of the big things that is also that is in fair play life, but, you know, sort of also in general you may be familiar with is just thinking about what is, my standard of care, the minimum standard of care is how it's called in fair play. And it's basically like, can we have a conversation about this? Is this good enough? And really what it's underneath is, am I good enough when I do it this way? Because what you're saying to me implicitly is that I'm not good. And the counter to that, which may be perfectly valid, is like, actually, like this is not enough standard for me. The he means to be fed on this schedule or else we're going to have X happen. And that's a fair conversation, but it needs to be had explicitly and it needs Mm -hmm. to be had passionately and recognizing, again, we're holding all things that are unfair generally. Right. So if I haven't slept, I'm
0: not at anything. (laughs) At everything. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
1: So we're holding all that and just kind of encouraging conversations. And, you know, a lot of our work in therapy is to integrate the emotions that are really there, the primary emotions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if people are frustrated and and I have a real healthy protest to say, which is like, hey, like I'm here too. I miss you, you know, or I miss having like, you know, I haven't worked out in three months and like, we need to make space for us too. And it's like, you're not seeing the baby. I'm the only one that cares for the baby. like, no, I really care for the baby, but I'm caring for myself. I'm caring for you and for our relationship. I always talk about the three relationships that you may have heard of before just like the relationship between you and your baby, you and your partner, and then you and yourself and your, you know, sort of outside relationships. How important is to hold all three? And uh, the strain is one partner tends to focus on the baby and the other one, which tends to be the mom. And so just really holding all of those as equal and, you know, thinking about how together you guys can create maybe more support externally to support the family system. Just not easy.
0: Oh, no, right. Yeah. And it takes some time.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, well, yeah, sure. First, I mean, it's taken us a lot of time. And, you know, my six year old, three year old, I'm like, we're finally figured out. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: But, you know, I think like when I bring up like gatekeeping, you know, it's like this term, it's like, okay, this person's only saying I can do it right this way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's a lot of emotion there. And it's all, and it's like, oh, she says this. She said, like, but there's some validity to like, hey, like you need to do your side. And there's also truth of like I want to parent, I want to have uh, conversations about how we can parent differently yeah. and together, and we can respect each other's styles as long as it meets this standard. Um, so that's I think that's probably one of the bigger things. Yeah.
0: Can you just quickly go back and explain a little bit about what fair play life is for yeah, sure.
1: people who don't we know? Kind of about it. All the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Fairplay Life is essentially a, a card system. Was originally a book, and then they made some cards that support uh, co-parents in figuring out. Actually, it's the fort it doesn't even require it to be a parent. It's the relationship in balancing out what's fair in who's carrying what in the relationship. And you don't really even have to have the same amount of cards, but you have to be okay with what the reality is, and if it's agreed upon, because obviously each card and cares about each thing, and it's unique to the people. But I think. Yeah, it's a wonderful system. To
0: I think it's therapy.com. Okay, cool. Yep, that's a tool that people can use and check out. Mm -hmm. So maybe in your groups or in the therapy, what are some, maybe even just a couple, one or two kind of quickish things that dads and fathers can do that helps them out in this process?
1: The quickest thing that I can think of is is what we kind of talked about, which is like first and foremost, uh, having conversations set up regularly and obviously trying to do these things prior to having kids. But, you know, we're in the middle of it, not in this space because, you know, to make clear what you need and what's needed for the family to get through and and to remember, of course, that this will get better one week at a time, one day at a time. And so that what's available this week, you might be able to get a little more next time. What else is I think kind of self-evident here is like, you know, the fact that I'm pushing it and doing groups is like, you know, you need to have a community that understand and you can be with and share the stuff because it's already hard on yes It is hard on your partner. Yes, you can. She should share your challenges, but also like it needs to be more than just your partner. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think unfortunately some of the relationships that men have can be limited and depending on the person, It's definitely more so than women. And so, that creating that network is really important and deepening those conversations. A lot of times, men will go to those relationships to forget and be away from the parenting, which makes a lot of sense. And can you get another? Is there another relationship where you can deepen in and say, actually, this is what's really happening?
0: Yes. Fantastic. Thank you, Adam, for all of this. I mean, it's just there's so many of Things that could each be their own, you know, deep dive that you talked about today. And what I think is so important and you highlighted throughout this is using compassion as a way to support yourself. It's a hard to do. It sounds like it would be easy, but it's hard to do. But also for everybody else to have compassion for fathers, too, and not just sort of, as you said, and make them this other thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is incredibly important work and I'm really grateful that you came on and everybody can go find you and what you're doing at um, dadswithwisdom.com.
1: Yes, absolutely. I wanted to mention that we have the International Father's Mental Health Day. So that's coming up and it's landing on Juneteenth. So because it's landing on Juneteenth, but also just because it's needed, we're going to be hosting and some of one of your former guests, Dr. Sheehan, will be there, I believe. And amongst others who will just be speaking to Black Fathers' experiences and the wisdom that they can share for us and uh, really, you know, telling us where we're at at 2023 and where we can hope to be in the future. So um, this is all being uh, done by Postpartum Support International. Um, I have the, hopefully have the privilege to you know, co-facilitate this uh, conversation um, that day. So it'll be nice. Awesome. So that's
0: um, Monday, June 19th. And where can people go to listen in and to see what's going on?
1: Yeah, I think that might be forthcoming. I'll pre- it'll probably be in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. But I'm not sure you just, yeah, we're, we're working on like, you know, with the live, et cetera.
0: Right. So the, right, there are quite a few providers and advocates doing work around International Fathers uh, Mental Health Day. Like you said before, at the top, like both in, in Europe and, yeah. and more, more and more here. So you guys can go to postpartum.net to find out uh, where you can be a part of this conversation and see what's going on for International Fathers Mental Health Day. Thank you, Adam, for being with us. I really appreciate it.
1: Really appreciate you. Thank you.
0: Please learn more about Adam's work on his website, dadswithwisdom.com, which is also his Instagram handle. As usual, but especially now, please do share this conversation as far and as wide as possible. We just have to be changing the narrative about how fathers and men are viewed and really start knowing them to be the complex, emotional, feeling people that they really are. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health.